Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. So today we're discussing more about new inheritance, as I just stated, and um, I've got a really fun little journey for you today, I believe. The first thing I wanted to start out with is that you are in training um, to inherit the earth and the universe. You know, I think that, um, you know, God loves to do things in a big way because he's so big. And, you know, I heard Bill say the other day, I think I wrote it down that, um, where was that? He said, the great thing about our new inheritance is that God gets you and we get him. See, that's why I feel like it's impossible to be sad. It's because I get God. So maybe for yourself you can define why do you get sad? Why do we get sad? Why does, like I mentioned just a second ago, why is our countenance, what is the goal, what is our motive to reflect to the world that I'm sad? What's our goal in that? When we go to work... And we gripe to her. I'm sure none of y'all do this. But we gripe to people at work or we hear them griping or whatever. What's the motive? We're looking for what? We're looking for either a response from them or some sort of empathy or sympathy. Or We have, I want today to shift your motive from trying to acquire for yourself something that actually is an example of an experience to steward differently. So let me give you an example. I didn't ask Lynn if I could do this. This is kind of a little bone of contention for us, so you know we'll have to talk about it afterwards, I'm sure. But since she gives me all permission to talk about every single detail of her life, as does Christy, without really giving me permission, I just do it with her. But So at our house, we're busy people. And so, you know, there's 12 or 15 or 17 people that live there now. And that's a joke. But we have a lot of dogs and a lot of people. And so Lynn normally cooks usually every evening. And Tracy comes over and helps her out, you know, when she's not busy working for Vinton. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and so Lynn never does do dishes, though. And so I was telling her the other day, I was like, hey, you know, it might just be good when you make that oatmeal, to just rent, go ahead and put water in that bowl. Now, see, she had a maid growing up, so she didn't, didn't understand the water concept. Well, I was raised by a melon, and we never didn't put water in dish. How many are water-in-the-dish people? How many are not? Oh, boy, there they Look, three sanguines. So, yeah, I know. Don't, see, already making, see right there, already reflecting. <laughs> Her excuse right here. I haven't even got out my point. So normally people who don't rinse out dishes live with people that do. See, Do you see how that works out? Does anyone that's a dishwasher outer live with someone who's not? Girls, raise your hand because that, that's, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. Moves like, oh, oh. Okay. So I was saying it would show honor 
to the dishwashers if you put water in the bowl. And so we kind of had a little, you know, choleric to choleric discussion about that. <laughs> well, later, a man, are you good? <laughs> later, <laughs> I was looking at your, later, I mean, usually someone's mad at me every service, so I just try not to look at them. I just try to them, so. So later a man came to repair the oven and he said, I don't know why you are washing out these dishes. These new dishwashers don't need that. But see, I've gone to the cupboard and I've pulled out a bowl that had crap on it. So I know, and no matter how good that dishwasher is, but see, my heart of the matter was, you don't do any dishes. You do a lot of stuff. This is not about dishing on you for not doing dishes. But it helps out. It's honor to whoever does, you three people that don't wash out dishes. It's honor to whoever does come along and wash out a dish to say, I'm going to assist you. Now, the principle of that is what? See, you can either hear that I'm mad that you didn't wash out a dish, but the principle is different. And I'm telling that story because you're going to have to use that kind of principle mindset to hear what I'm saying today you got it I don't know if you got it but that was my attempt to help you so if God gets you and you get God this is another statement from Bill this alone should increase our understanding of the value that God made in us now listen to me I don't know where you got your wrong value of you, but you can't take it with you to do your destiny. Think of it as a piece of luggage, and it's too big to get on this plane. And you keep trying to find someone to confirm to you that what's in the luggage is true about you. And I'm sorry, but around here, the mentors are preempted what's a better word prohibited to let you take that luggage with you to your destiny because it's ungodly it's actually something that you are posing as an obstacle between you and god weird huh that he can't work with to use you so see, if I change my definition and I say, okay, I'm here for training to rule and reign the universe. See, I read it last Sunday in Psalms 115 that the earth is given to men to have authority over. It's always an authority issue. I, if, if you get a chance, Chris Fouts, and maybe I'll stick it on Evernote, he sent out a little post yesterday. It goes right along with what? I want to say today, and he put this snippet. Let me read you this one snippet. He said, if you want to be a world changer, that's the name of it. Does anybody in here want to make an impact on the planet? Look, everybody is raising their hand, or was. So what does that mean? That means you're going to have to change some things about you to impact the world on God's behalf. See, you're not impacting the world in your own strength. Right? Because you're already doing that. 
the world you live in right now and how you interact with people, that's you in your own strength interacting, right? Yeah. But when the Spirit of God, so what we were saying about, moves in, He repositioned you. So here's what He said. If you want to change the world, it's imperative that you learn to submit your life and remain accountable to wise people. Over the years, I have seen that one of the greatest stumbling blocks to achieving your God-given destiny is the desire to run the course alone, stifled by your own blind spots and confused as to why you cannot move forward. Now, I wish I could just say, that's not true. I wish I could say, go, do it on your own. Go be independent. Go achieve. But see, God set up a situation that when you came to the understanding that you needed a Savior, I was five. It wasn't like because I came from a life of sin. See, that's the cool part about my life is I have generations of generations of people that serve God. If you didn't have that, in your first generation, you're going to have to establish a legacy going forward. You can't go back to the people that didn't establish that and look to them for advice. They're of a different... I'm sorry that that makes you feel sad, but they're just of a different system. We've talked about it a billion ways around here. It's just that when you say yes to God, you are plucked out of death. If I need to dissect your life a little more, I will show you how you were plucked out of wrong mindsets, strongholds, fears, no peace, no abundance, no purpose. You were plucked out of selfishness. And you were placed in a family. Now see what I love about this journey that I've been on with God. Let's start with Psalm 16. You want to? Yahweh. You alone are my inheritance. This is verse 5. Alone. Do you see the word alone there? That means it's not from your family. Now, you know, I've been talking a lot. I want to give you my punchline, okay, in case some of y'all doze off like you do. Then you'll at least know what I'm going to be talking about the rest of the day. (laughs) The cool thing about one of the ways that God has established this yes is that this yes to God, then you became an heir. Now, let's look at that a little bit closely. An heir is one who receives his allotted position by right of sonship. Now, see, the Bible talks a lot, and I can quote all the verses. Um, let me say, Romans 8.15, Romans 8.23, Galatians 4, Ephesians 1. I'm going to be reading some of those today. But in all those five verses, it's, it's, there's only five times the word adoption is mentioned in the New Testament, in the Bible, I think. I don't know why they would be talking about that in the Old Testament. So anyway, but see, that word adoption means something different than what our word adoption means. So in the Old Testament, the reason why they understood this was because there would be a family of prominence. You can watch Downton Abbey. That's what happened here. Anybody know Downton Abbey? So there's a family of prophets. Provident, uh, what did I say? Prominence. Prominence, that's the word. 
provision provides. These are all those pro words. And they don't have an heir. Now, adoption in the Bible doesn't mean you go and get some little baby that doesn't have a family, doesn't have a mommy and daddy, and you get that's not this word. This word is about a family that knew they had something of value. And they knew they would need someone to steward it. And so they sought for someone who was responsible, who was mature, usually between 20 and 30, usually a male, of course, because we didn't know any better. We thought all men were all things to all people. <laughs> Women were stupid idiots that just had babies. I know. We did all kinds of weird things with humanity. And, and so they would search for this heir. Because of the value of the inheritance. So in keeping with that, let's read this verse brand new, shall we? Yeah. In Romans 8. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we're heirs of God. So why, what made us have the qualification? So let's use this newly found word. It's a big word. I can read. Let me see. It's, it's this little letter that looks like a U. This is like the Greek letters, you know. I can't pronounce it. But that was a joke. But it's this word that has to do with placement. Placement in something already of value. So that's why this Romans 8 verse is so imperative. Let's keep reading it, shall we? So since we're his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. Heirs of God. So, so that means God is the, in this story, he's the entity of prominence. And he's looking for people to steward the inheritance. Are you with me yet? And so your yes to Jesus made you this choice. See, what well, you don't understand, when they went to the person and they said, hey, we want to make you heir, they didn't say no. They said yes. Did they know everything they were getting? They had no idea. It's a great example in Downton Abbey, isn't it? Yes. Little Matthew. He didn't know anything that was going on, right? How many have watched that show? He didn't know anything that was going on, right? Of course, he died a tragic death, and we all were mad about it. But anyway, that's just movies, I know. But see, it's, it's the person who owns the... Property, who is the owner of the goods, who is the inheritance maker. Yeah. Remember in that movie, that had just been passed down to the guy that had it now. And he was looking for someone who would treat it the way he would treat it. Right. Can you see this life a little differently through those eyes? Yeah. Please, I hope today you can, that, that Papa is saying, I have 
something so valuable, and I'm looking for a yes. And so see, what happens is then he shows us what a small life we have. Have you been there yet? Well, my mom and my dad, they didn't come through for me. Have you been there yet? Now, you thought you were supposed to be mad at them forever, didn't you? Remember those days where you thought, I know the answer. The answer, I will be mad at them. Lynn's two, number one, I mean, number three and number two, they are mad at Lynn because Lynn did not fix all the problems. Lynn was never the perpetrator. We've yet to be mad at the actual perpetrator in that scenario in her family. But see, that's what we do. We look to people to say, why didn't you come through? Why didn't you do that? They didn't do it because they were orphans too. Orphans raising orphans. That's why we can just simply say, I just forgive and release them because the release of them, them opens my yes to the abundance. The holding on to them saying, well, why didn't they do it? Why did my dad abuse me? Why did my mom not stop it? That's a common question. Hanging on to that unforgiveness means my yes is contingent upon this being worked out. And this never gets worked out. So, just like I said on Wednesday night, what stage did you get stuck? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I know most of y'all in here well enough that I could tell you what stage you're on. I'm hoping that you can, remember what he said on Wednesday night, I, I read that you've got to resolve that stage. What does that even mean? I'm going to talk about it a little more on Wednesday night, but let's answer that question now. What does it mean, resolve it? You've got to get truth on what really happened at that stage. Resolve it means you can't fix it anymore. See, that's why we get stuck is because we keep saying, well, something else has got to happen right here. Something else has got to happen right here. Something else has got to happen right here with those people that hurt me. It will never happen. They're not even thinking about it. Number three and number two can be mad at her all day long. She is not thinking about fixing it. She can't. She cannot fix it. The knowledge she had was the knowledge she used. Does she have new knowledge now? Can she be a different friend, a different mother, a different leader now? Well, of course she's got some new knowledge. See, what we do is we judge people by the limited knowledge and education they had about an area that we felt like they should have done better for us. And we can't forgive it. I'm just trying to help you because, see, God has this entire positioning. That word means I placed you as a son. You want to be a son? You want to be a daughter? He has, he has invited you. And your yes to Jesus means you're already in this position. Are you good at it? No. You're not good at it. What makes you worse at it, though, is thinking about how not good at it you are. I don't know if you listened to that little thing I sent out yesterday. But he was basically saying, you're never going to be able to do it by yourself. I don't even know if that dude's a Christian. Is he a Christian? I don't, he, he, just a good, he just knows some leadership skills. You know, Dr. Phil knows some stuff too. But it doesn't mean that we're banking our life. It's the principle of these things have to work with people. This is the stuff that works with people. 
translate all the information I gave you Wednesday and all the information that little dude said yesterday into the abundant kingdom life. That's where they got them all anyway. They just don't know it. So he said, back to Romans 8, we're heirs of God himself. So since we're joined to Christ, we also inherit all that's his. When he said, I adopted you, that's what he said. If you say you want to make an impact, you've got to be in your own mind. You've got to be in that position that this is who I am to who. The one that gave me the inheritance. Not to your mom and dad. They, if they did invest in this inheritance with God, they don't know it either. We can't be mad at everybody for not knowing. Be so grateful for what you do know. And just plan on teaching it to someone else. You know, part of, part of the process of learning it more for myself is teaching it over again to somebody else. When I'm trying to work through a principle that God has given me, I did it just this morning. I tell Chrissy, when I pick her up and we go to come to church, I say, okay, let's stop for a minute. I just got to regurgitate this principle I'm trying to get. And I just say it over and over and over and over again. Why? Because I'm wanting it to become part of what I do with my life. I think Bill said it really good. If you listen to his message on Sunday, he said, In the biblical days, they cast seed different than we do now. They farm different than we do now. And Jesus said about this, why I have the seed, the seed parable is my favorite parable. And Jesus said in that parable, if you don't understand this parable, you can't understand the rest of the parables. So that must mean it's pretty important. So here's the principle in this parable. And part of this is from what Bill said. Part of this is I've talked about before. So he said... That what they did to farm, and this is why Jesus was telling the parable of the seed, because everyone would get it, because this went on. They ate crops, right? They didn't have Walmart, right? I know, some of y'all are hating on Walmart right now, but listen, (laughs) we don't all have a farm. But in biblical days, they just took a bag of seed, and they just cast it like this. That's all they did. And then where the farmland was, they would just turn over the soil with a plow of some sort, and it would pl- that's how the seed would be planted. So that's why he said there were four types of seeds. And he was talking about the seed that fell on stony ground. Why was it stony? Because that's where they walked. That wasn't farmland. Now today we don't do that. We plow first, make us nice little nice rows, right? My uncle was a farmer in Wayne, America. He farmed 37,000 acres. I can't even imagine of soybean. And now, obviously, soybeans kill us, so we can't eat those now. But, so he had to grow something else. But anyway, so that, you know, we farm in a row, right? And we lay the seed down, then we, you know, we do it different now, right? So whenever he was talking about, listen to this, what Bill said. That when the seed was sown, he said that if the person who hears the word doesn't understand the word, then the enemy comes and steals the seed. That was the principle of there was no turning over the soil. There was no plowing where the seed had been scattered so the seed didn't have an opportunity to go down because he said understanding was what allowed seed to penetrate the soil. Now, see, 
we don't understand everything about God. But when you hear what the word says or what someone says or something like what I'm trying to establish is like I said something Wednesday night. We're on a new little journey to understand these, these levels of growth, okay, and development because we're, stunt, we're stumped, right? We're, we're stunted, right? We don't want our growth to be stunted, right? Right? So we're finding new ways of, oh, just new angles. It's the same thing. Just a different angle to see if maybe that angle is your angle that you can get it from. The, but the angle, this, the principle is the same. We are here on earth to learn to steward it by his standard. And so that when we get to heaven and we have eternity, we will rule and reign, right? That's the principle. So all of this information is about getting us at the soonest age as possible. Right? To buy into that. Because if I buy into that and I say I understand that's my purpose, I do something different with my life when I understand that's what it's about. When I think my purpose is everyone should make me feel comfortable, I do something different with my life. And so then if you, if you think, sorry, if you, I just have to say it, if you think that everyone's here to make you comfortable, then when you're not doing something and someone comes to you and says, hey, why don't you put some water in the dish, you're going to, that's what I didn't tell you, that she was, Lynn was telling me, well, the guy said we didn't have to put water in the dish. I said, I don't care what the guy has to say. It's the principle. So then if somebody comes to you and says, hey, you're treating someone bad, you want to defend what you did instead of just saying, no, you don't get the principle. This isn't kingdom living. And so, see, when we know that we're heirs, we're, you're heir, Tracy, just like I am. Then I want to tell her, if I see her doing something that's not heir-like, I would say, because in, since she wants to be an heir, I can tell Tracy anything. She's one of those people, she never gets offended. She always says, thank you, I want to fix that. Why? Because she knows she's an heir. She knows she's responsible. She knows she's stewarding what? Herself first. Then something else next. Then people next. Then kingdoms next. Do you see this? Do you see it? But the substance of the inheritance already exists. I'm not doing some activity to warrant getting it. I don't know if you got that. So understanding, so if I'm saying something today and it doesn't make sense, maybe I don't make sense. Maybe I didn't finish my thought. I listen to myself all the time. I was like, oh, I just left them hanging on that. <laughs> then it's your job. I know you thought it was my job. But it's your job to say, I wonder what in the world she was talking about. Let me give a little ringy-dingy up to Tisa and see what she's saying. Or little old Christy knows what I say when I don't even finish the whole sentence. I'm like, hey, I said, and she goes, I think what you're meaning is. I'm like, that's it. That's exactly what I was meaning. I didn't say any of that. See, there's translators of Teresa, right? Just like there's translators of the Bible, right? If you don't understand what, if you believe you're supposed to be in this house and you're supposed to be being trained to be a leader, it's your job to make sure that the seed is allowed to penetrate your soil. And what makes that happen is understanding what's being said and why. You know, I, Bro's a good candidate. I'm going to tell something about him now. So 
the other day I was telling him he was too loud, basically, at some point. And um, I also told him a couple other things. And he said, well, here's what I think you're saying. See, he did this good. He reworked what I said because I just only have time to say those two things. So he said, here's what I think you're saying. That you want me to always think about the team. And so if I'm doing something, even if it's good, but it's not in the team mentality, you would want me to adjust what I'm doing to make sure the team felt like I was a team member. See, he just reworked what I was just like. I don't really even know sometimes what I feel like is off. I'm just like, well, something's off there. I don't even know. But see, he knows in his own heart what I really mean. And see, that if you can just do that in this context, then you can do that with God. And you can say, well, gosh, I don't know. I'm not feeling like he was really good to me right then. I mean, like when I was a kid, I was really alone. I raised myself. I don't feel like he was good to me. Well, let me rework that from God's perspective for a minute. And see, we've got to keep doing that through life. Otherwise, we won't get stuck on a stage and we won't develop past it. And so then we won't experience all this goodness. So if we're in training, then that means we are equippers and doers. You know, the first stage in spiritual maturity is just doing what you hear. You don't have to get it. You don't have to agree. I could go through this room right now and point who's still stuck there because you need to agree. You need to agree. You need to know why someone's asking you to do it. You just need to agree. I've been, I test Tessa on this all the time. I'm testing her right now. So she's been working on this little... Um, seal, seal of one life. Remember, told you the other day? Yeah. Well, I didn't tell her when we started this a few weeks ago that she was going to be writing what it meant. But she finished it today, and I said, okay, now you get to, we get to say what it means. And she goes, well, we have so many writers around here at One Life that can do that. And I was like, it's you. Oh. <laughs> if only I had known that along the way. But see, I strategically held that information. Why? Because I'm just like God. And I just wanted to see if she would finish the drawing. So if we're in training, then we're equippers and doers. Our giftings are to be used in the context of a spiritual family. So let me help you with this, because this is part that I don't think all of y'all get. So whenever you said yes to God, you got the greatest gift of your life. God placed you in a new inheritance family. Yes. Now see, let me tell you how this works. Only my yes to God activates my spiritual gifts in context of the safety of a family. All of y'all try to use your gifts outside the safety and confines of a spiritual family of safety. Y'all all did. Christy's a good example. Let me use you. I'm just picking on everybody today. So Christy's really picky. She loves that word too. She's not really. I just said that on purpose. Look at her. Look at her. She's, I just said that. I'm just trying to offend my girls a little bit. Yeah, see if they can still hear me. So she's very detail-oriented. God-made. Detail-oriented. When she was young, where she didn't have authority because she was a kid. 
she tried to express things out of this gifting. Can't turn it off. Ever. She was met with opposition because that wasn't the context of where her spiritual gifting was going to be matured. So it was rejected. She went to the next group of people, rejected again. Went to the next group of people, rejected again. Went to the next group of people, rejected again. Until she found an entity that God had pre-set up. That in the confines of the safety of that family, her gifting flourishes. So when she came along, we didn't have any catalog of our songs. So we just wrote a song sporadically. Can I tell you, in the 10 years that I've been working on songwriting, we probably wrote five, six songs. We have 37 songs now. Most of them in the last two or three years. Why? Because she started using her gift to make sure that the songs were stewarded. She's protecting the revelations of Jesus in song form. So now her gift flourishes. She's yesterday, well, you know, I don't think, I think we need to move this here. I think we need to do that. What's the order of that? What's that? Did we put the right date on there? She's asking all these questions to me. She's like, oh, oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know. I, uh, what do you th- uh-huh, uh, yeah, What do you think? I don't. Because we weren't doing it. So what happened? It supernaturally increased. See, that's how God's spiritual gifts work. They have to operate within the boundary. Let's read about it because I know you don't believe me. I can tell. Pam believes me. Hold on. It's Isaiah 49, isn't it? Hang on, let me look. 54. 49. 54. 54. Listen to this. is the best scripture ever. You ready? Hey, today. Okay. Isaiah 54, 17. But I promise you. Who's talking? No weapon meant to hurt you will succeed. Is God the organizer of the weapons? Is God organizing weapons against his children? How do I need to say that? Never. Never, 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 never blame God for your pain. He's never, ever been the instigator of pain. It's impossible for God to cause children pain. Have you ever had a child? Could you just cause them? Could you just go around and just knock their head off for no reason? No. We're not. In, you see, we're after, made after like kind, right? He said, you will refute every accusing word spoken against you. This promise is the inheritance. Hello? Yeah. This promise is the inheritance of Yahweh's servant. Is this for today? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Well, if it's not, well, if it's just Old Testament, it's, I mean, it's Old Testament, Psalm, Isaiah 54. This promise is the inheritance of y'all. Is it for today? Yes. How do you know? 
How do you know? He does not change. It doesn't matter if it's Old Testament, New Testament, Blue Testament, Red Testament. <laughs> it's a promise of Yahweh about the inheritance. Remember what the inheritance is. It's already an entity. Set aside. He, God already had the inheritance. Yes. And he invited slaves. By a yes. Through the plan of Jesus. We already know that around here. To what? To become an heir. To be placed as a son as a daughter, in a position of training and learning. When those families in, in biblical days, they would bring the son in, and they, that, that new son that, that wasn't even part of the family, wasn't even a blood relative probably, and they would train him on the ways of the family, the ways of the inheritance, the way to stir to what? To make it go on forever, not to spend it all up. Not to just eat it for himself. They taught him, this is your inheritance you didn't work for. And make sure you do the same thing to the next generation. Can you see where our families missed it? They just taught us to eat it all up. They didn't teach us to be entrepreneurs. That's God's heart. They didn't teach us that you're building something for someone to leave behind that you didn't even work for either. And so this is what he said. I love the commentary. He said, we learn about the servant of Jesus through his, humil his humiliation, his death, and the glory that father th followed. Those three things. Here we find the servant has become many servants, which is a corporate body of believers. And the son, S-O-N, has become sons. He said, from this point on, Isaiah's focus is the fulfillment within the corporate body in the glorious bride of Jesus. So what is he saying? He's saying, there isn't a weapon out there, because who's the maker of weapons? The number one enemy of God. Enemy of the state. Who? And why did Lou lose his position? Because he wanted the worship. That he was meant to give. That's the one thing that trips us up right there. God has given us everything, y'all. Everything. Everything. And we can't let what we worship trip us up. We can't. We have to exchange what we worship. We may worship fear to make sure we're never hurt again. You know, the other thing God was talking to me about. I wanted to read it too. Let's see. It's in. Uh, hold on. I started to read it a while ago. In Psalm 16. It's called my portion. Remember I started out. Yeah. Yahweh you alone are my inheritance. But listen to this. It says you are my prize. My pleasure. And my portion. You hold my destiny and its timing. 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 
Why is it that there's different ages in this room? Why didn't Christy come to the knowledge of this amazing songwriting gift, being able to actually sing? And, and why did she stumble on it at 40 and Judy stumbled on it at 22? Timing. See, when God converges the right things, timing, His timing. Why we wrote 30 songs in a year, timing. Why did we write 21 songs in the year of COVID? Timing. Timing. This is just an example. This is going on in everybody's life. Timing. Why are you living where you're living? Timing. See, what we do is we hate where we are so bad looking to be someplace else. We, this, this is an extended experience where we are. Do you understand that I've had to convince Shooty she can sing and play? That probably doesn't make any sense to y'all. There's lots of days she didn't want to play anymore. When bro came along especially, well, let's just let him play. He's so good. He's so good. He's so much better than me. Let's just let no timing. Yeah. God's converging to anointings. Did he make her better? Yes. Did she make him better? Yes. Timing. She had what he needed. He had what she needed. Timing. But there still was the conversation. Oh, I don't feel very good at this. Of course you don't. Timing. See, we're never going to feel great at learning as well as we do at the doing. You know when you're in school and you're trying to learn how to add? And then, you know, now you go to Starbucks and, like, they're wanting to give you some change and you're like, I don't even know. Because why? We don't need to add anymore. The machine does it for us. See, that's what happens supernaturally. Supernaturally, you've always had this gift. You've always had this gift. Bailey's always been an artist. But she was raised by Carol who said, nobody in our family has any talent. So that's why it's so precarious. That's why it's in and out. It's inconsistent. Why? Because her law of first mention is this isn't talent at all. Remember when I said her grandma showed her the picture of a good picture and it was the zebra? And I knew right then the enemy was hot on his, her trails to make sure that she got offended, to make sure she wasn't going to be an artist anymore. Why? Because that's his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy the very gifting within you that God says, this is the moment. It's happened with everyone. You're not alone. He is, he is wanting to sabotage your ability to operate with the inheritance. Your ability to be mature to make sure that you don't spend it all on yourself, on tacos. He says, verse 6, you, your pleasant path leads me to pleasant places. I'm overwhelmed by the privileges that come with following you. Yes. That's Psalm 16. It's called my portion. Yeah. And so that another word there in the Passion Translation commentary is your pleasant path or your boundary lines. Yeah. 
So, you know, boundaries are kind of a hard concept for some of us because they were taught in my generation. So that means you're lucky. <laughs> my parents didn't know boundaries. <laughs> so I had to teach them boundaries. So there's lots of stories I could tell right now. About people who didn't know boundaries, right? But see, what it's saying is, is that I completely trust him that he's leading me to pleasant places. Now, I might have to pass through. You know, whenever I got divorced, I lived in a really nice house in Mustang. And, and... My first house that I got after my divorce was nothing like the house I have now. He had to lead me to pleasant places. But see, all along the way, my second house after I got a divorce wasn't nice. I remember my very first house, I thought it was really cool. You know, the kitchen was about this big. You know, I could do like this and touch all the walls. But I remember the day that I got a patio door. Because, you know, the old patio door I couldn't open. It was one of those, one of those, you know, scraping on the metal. You know what I'm talking about? And I remember this new one. You could just, that thing would open. Well, I decided, I'd, I had a dog, of course. So I decided I would put a dog door. That's why I got this new patio door, so that the dog could freely go in and out. I thought. See, I, I could only see so far with that decision. It sounded good. Doesn't this sound good? I will let a dog, while I'm gone to work during the day, this sounds good, I know. This dog could freely go in and out. That sounded, I didn't know about the kennel then. I didn't know dogs loved a little din. I didn't know that, so... When I came home and there was a dead blackbird in the middle of the living room floor on my little cream-colored carpet, I thought, I did not see this patio door, this invention of the dog door. You see, we can't always see, right? We can't see where our life is headed. And so when God stops something, let's rejoice over something he stopped. Instead of having a dead bird laying on the cream carpet you can't clean. So in within this leading, he loves to establish the biggest yard he can for you currently. Because you have only a certain amount of maturity to manage a certain size yard. And so what's cool about God is as we mature, he extends out the boundary. Why? Because his goal is for you to take territory. So he's never going to give you a smaller yard than you can manage or a bigger yard than you can manage. It's the perfect size, just like Little Red Riding Hood. It's the perfect size for where you are now. You hating on what size of yard you have doesn't make you have a bigger yard. It's you stewarding. And he does it with everyday life experiences. 
If you can't run water in a bowl, you're probably not going to get more bowls. Right? If you can't clean your room, you're probably not going to get another room. If you can't clean your house, you can't clean your car, if you can't, can't mow your yard. See, he expands. It's the same way supernaturally. If you can't manage your own headache... And you have to tell the entire world all function ceases because I'm PMSing. Girls, you're not stewarding that well. Every girl's had that. Don't be bringing that up in here. I can tell you stories. See, we always are wanting to make that something about us that's normal is unmanageable. So I need some supernatural intervention. I used to, we used to have a girl work for us that had to take off a week once a month. Wow. She, <laughs> Bam says she no longer works for us. Do you understand? Humanity's all the same. We don't want to promote that our thing of humanity is bigger than the entire world who's had to deal with it themselves. Right? So this, this boundary understanding means that this is the placement that he's put me in. So I have to steward everything in it well. When the kids were about to buy houses, it's the first thing I said to Aaron and Vinton. I said, you have got to make sure you mow your yard. If you're going to get a house, that's your job. You've got to make sure you don't let the grass get 14 feet high in your backyard. Because, see, that's the sign that that's what you can manage. See, we always want more stuff, more freedom, more stuff, more, more people in our lives. Some people don't, but some people do. We always want more stuff, right? We want a husband or a wife, but we can't even manage our own thing. And so that boundary line is small. Do you feel the smallness? I love, I love you know, like I'm starting to feel it around here. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I remember when we were in the living room and I started feeling it there. Did you know I literally had to think to myself when God had this building come open, I was like, but I can just get up out of bed and walk around the corner and I'm there. I had to get over that in my own noggin. That sounds crazy now. Like, who in the world wants to have 40 people in their bedroom? I mean, in their living room, right? But it was a thing. Why? It became my comfort zone. That's where we are right here. I went and looked at land yesterday. We're, we, we're, it's time. It doesn't matter who's here. It just, we just gotta, we gotta, exp the, do you understand? <laughs> The boundary isn't about people. Yeah. It's about what you're stewarding here. Yeah. If you would just get that, then you, you would want to stir this here. Yeah. Some of y'all are really getting it. Some of y'all really know, I've got to stir this better. I can't be hating on myself. I don't need to carry that luggage around with me anymore. It's just, it's just ridiculous. We don't need to keep answering that question over and over. Okay, you are valuable. Are you going to steward you and your relationships well? And so then the boundary gets extended. And we start the process all over again. Wow, this is uncomfortable. 
I was driving around yesterday going, oh God, I don't even know how you're going to provide for this. I don't even know, but this is what I want. This is where I want it. This is what you said would happen. This is where, this is where we're at. I'm just telling them, just reminding me of what he said. You know, the enemy's like, well, everybody's just going to quit. I, no, I'm just telling you for me. I know it's just crazy for you. I know. Did you know I literally had people when we moved up here said they won't come because of those 27 stairs and they didn't. Now, y'all think that's crazy. I mean, who even remembers we came up 27 stairs, right? Yeah. And so, and see, it's that thing where we get, just like that guy said years ago, you focus on the bagel or the line. Yeah. Trust me, I'm never focused on the line. So back to our placement as sons and daughters. This word is H-U-I-O-T-H-E-S-I-A. Uh -huh. It's the nature and condition of the true disciple receiving the Spirit of God into their souls to become sons. Wow. I love this guy. I read this little commentary about it. He said that, he says he concludes that Paul's adoption is not the, the adoption of the common Roman legal sense, but a placement of us in the position of sons and daughters with the change of heart, the new attitude, and later the new bodies that involves, that this involves due to the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit to make us like Christ and bring him glory. So, see, that's the goal. Of this placement. See, you should say every day, Papa, I just thank you that you have plucked me out of slavery. You were slave to what someone said that probably isn't even here anymore. You just wanted more. Or you'd just be hanging out at home. I know 50, 40, 40, 50 year old people still living with their parents. That's where you would be. If you wanted the same thing, some of y'all's faces. If you wanted the same thing, if you wanted the easy life, some of y'all will never go back for no reason whatsoever. Other people are like, yeah, well, that might be better. Because why? I bet it's because they let them be small. When they wanted someone that would say, oh, baby, I'm so sorry that you feel bad today. Stay home from work and I'll pay your mortgage for you. Some of y'all are shaking your head, but it exists. That mindset exists. Why? It's the it's the it's the that we desire comfortability more than making an effect on the world, an impact. That's why I asked you at the beginning: Do you really want to make an impact? I remember it's probably five or six years ago. I remember as one of the one of the sozos that Chrissy and I had. She said to me, "I just want to make an impact," and I said, "Okay, if that's your prayer, I can help you do that." Does everything have to change? If you're doing no impact, do you think anything would have to change to then become an impact for the king of kings? The invitation is just there. That's why it's always an invitation. The other thing I wanted to talk about, I 
I've been thinking a lot, and Chrissy's been thinking about too, about this um, sort of, I guess you could say, the suffering for Jesus syndrome. You know, this is a religious um, entity. It's a religious spirit. You know, whenever there's all kinds of, of theories out there, but I believe I wrote this, I said, um, there seems to be such an urgency to believe that some form of suffering is needed to mature. But I propose that Jesus bore our suffering and shame as well as our sin. So why do we so easily believe in the need to suffer more than we do on the need to mature who we are? Like we just, we would, and so I had to look up that word suffer again. I, you know, I preached a message on it, I think, a while back called the escape room or something. But this is what one of the words for suffer is. It says to endure, to sustain, to not sink under. And so I was, I wrote this thing that maybe, maybe you could think about it like this, that. Maybe when something is happening to me that I don't like, could we put that in the suffering category? How many have ever had that and you thought you were in a bunch of pain? I mean, let's, let's be honest, you know. Any little tiny negative thing, you know, that's why if we don't know the author of things, then we're looking for an answer to it in the wrong way. So the, see, that's a spiritual gift in operation right there. So if the enemy comes to me with physical problems and then I spend all my time going to doctors to resolve all my physical problems, then it doesn't... See, it's different if that's a spiritual gift of yours versus that you actually have a legitimate problem you need to have seen about. You see... If we, the people who have that spiritual gifting, they have thing after thing after thing after thing, and the doctor can never find anything wrong. Because why? God, just like whenever, if you think about what I was talking about, Christy's spiritual gift, when her gift is in operation, if there's things that are out of order that she's trying to figure out if those are important or not important. If those are things that are going to advance the kingdom or just something that's just personally her. There's just a constant Think that's what happens with our spiritual gifts when they're not trained well. Then we're constantly got two different viewpoints or definitions of it. And so I think it's really important to realize that, that what if we are experiencing something, like just say um, what I would consider pain, to attract the enemy to us for us to defeat him? See, since if we have the mindset that I've got to run all the way, I know I'm messing with y'all a little bit right here. I can see because y'all went, oh. So what if it's just kind of like, it's not even an activity of mine, but just that I have such a powerful authority. So I was walking in Lowe's the other day, and there were these two dudes that were standing there and I knew they were a couple. And whenever I walked in, they both 
their chest got real big and they looked at me just like that. And I walked by and I said, we just had a clash of kingdoms. Now, I don't run around. If you were hanging out with me, you know, I'm pretty carefree, you know, because I'm pretty protected. But I knew in that moment that I knew I was one of the 12th men. Now, I didn't do anything. I just, when I walked by them, I just said, I just said in my own spirit, the kingdom of God is here. But see, I know something's going to happen with them because God brought that to my attention. Now, see, there's all kinds of ways I could look at that. I could be like, gross. I could be, do you understand? We all have a reaction to our spiritual gifting. I'm just trying to educate you on how your spiritual gift works. And it's been consistent your whole life. And so you've got to be trained in that area about your authority. It's all, I'm just telling you, it always will come down to your authority. And so how would your authority that's been dormant, that hasn't been exercised, be trained anyway? Can I have my water? How could it be trained anyway? So it has to have an opportunity. Thank you. Are you with me? I love this another thing I heard from Bill this week. It's from an old one, but he said that God will always fulfill his promises, but he's not obligated to fulfill my potential. I've said this before. Why? Because I'm a co-worker. I'm a co-laborer. Jesus came and died and satisfied the one thing that I want to be focused on. Sinner saved by grace. Powerless over my own sin. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but how many, how many people sinned this week? Think about it. Did you sin this week? Did you have a bad attitude? Did you sin this week? Did you do something you didn't like, like to do? But see, from God's perspective, He's like, just your awareness that you knew you didn't like the way you were is new to you. You used to do that all the time. Are you, are you with me? So see, as your awareness grows, it's a good example, so does your interaction with your spiritual gift, therefore your interaction with your authority, therefore your interaction with humanity. So this is what, it, what Bill said. He said, God often gives us a word that's connected to who he has made us to be. So like I was talking earlier about the seed. So see the, that word, even a prophetic word about you that you're not doing yet. is connected to who you are on the journey. It's coming. And so he's preparing something in you. To handle the weight yes. that is associated with that operation of that authority. Yeah. So, so that's why he starts with your own attitude. If you don't have authority over your own soul, yeah. and you can't tell your soul what's true and not true. If you battle in your mind a lot about whether you're worthy or good or people like you, or if you're stupid or you're going to mess up, your, your maturity level is stopped at a developmental stage that says that it's easier for you to be robotic with a set of rules than it is for you to be relational with Jesus. 
That's what's happened. You're stuck. You're wanting someone to just tell you all the things to do so that it guarantees success and not messing up. And that's not possible in the kingdom because every word that comes forth out of his net mouth has a relationship attached to it. Please hear me today. And that relationship means that it activates something in you. That's why this is another thing Bill said. He'll never release over me any promise that is premature because the weight of the blessing would work in opposite in opposite of what he intended. He says the weight of blessing on a fractured life creates more fractures. It'll create more brokenness in a broken life. But the weight of blessing on an established life creates more strength. Our internal world has to be established and our internal prosperity of soul has to become bigger than our external blessing. And see, God, we have to give God, we have to change our mind and say, okay, I'm going to give God the permission because he's going to anyway, but I'm going to, I'm going to agree that he's going to test me on where I am and I'm not going to tell him my boundaries need to be moved. I'm ready God. Just move my boundaries. See, because, because see, everything stems out of this identity. So like, I know personally what I'm working on next to advance my maturity. This will happen to you the rest of your life. How many feel like they've reached the pinnacle of maturity? Nobody would raise their hand. You know, I'd just jump on you right here in the room. (laughs) But see, it's the, it's the opposite viewpoint. Do you see the growth? Do you see your personal growth? Do you think you're any different? You know, don't say, well, I'm not the same I used to be. I know. That's not a thing. If Even if you don't serve God, you're not the same as you used to be. Nothing stays the same. But are you maturing and becoming more aware and more agreeable in the areas that God is speaking to you specifically that you need to grow in? And part of the reason that I think that God wants, he's wanting to measure us. I think this is another thing that Bill says that God, what God does so well as a father, he's constantly measuring us to see how well we can carry blessing, what we can carry responsibly. And part of the reason for that is it, it, it translates into what and how we pray into how we live. He says that, Prayers out of anxiety or fears are not prayer of authority. See, part of the reason why that we practice prayer. Do you like practice prayer? Do you like that? Is to discover what works and doesn't work. So let's just use the healing concept. So if I'm praying for people to to receive, that scared me. (laughs) Did I jump? If, did y'all jump? Okay, good. If if we're praying for things and they're not being answered, and our old tendency would be like, well, I guess God's not ready to answer that yet. I like Chrissy was telling me that this lady was saying that the that the Lord told her that the glory 
these portals of glory are being are opened all over the planet. We don't even have to pray for glory anymore. We just have to align ourselves with the spirit to know how to position ourselves. Why are we talking about alignment? Why are we talking about all these things? Because it's it's we're right in line with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so we want to align our hearts and attitudes and actions and responses to things so that the glory positioning we have moved we move see the change of my own perspective and own mindset makes me move if lynn decides she's not gonna believe the repairman that we don't have to wash out the dishes and she just does it just because it's honor she'll shift She'll be coming to alignment. If she wants to stand on the side of the repairman and says, well, he said it, so I'm not going to do it, she'll miss the shift. It's that simple. I'm using that example because y'all are all doing that in some place. It's not a bad thing. It's just a new thing. Maybe before she didn't have to do that. But now the Holy Spirit now says that you have to do it. So see, the prayers of this repositioned sonship those prayers are confident prayer. And they're more about who he is than who I am. And so see, I can't, I don't want to pray out of what I think. I want to pray out of what the alignment with him says it's time to pray. Now back to my little suffering comment. So, this is a couple of things that he told me. I think the key is, would you or could you suffer because of him? Paul was writing this. He had been imprisoned and beaten, right? Where I don't really feel like that. I mean, we may. I, I don't know, but none of us are in fear of the police coming in here right now and beating the pulp out of us because we're in here talking about God. Right? right? Yeah. So so just like everything else in the Bible, there's context. Yeah. Yeah. So I think instead of being on this theology of, well, you know, that prosperity gospel, that's just the wrong thing. Nobody even here probably knows what that means. But, um, you know, the prosperity gospel is basically name it, claim it. You know, just you don't have to do anything with your life. God's just going to do everything. But see, it got a bad rap because of the suffering theology. And it both of them are wrong. But the, but the truth is, is God, your yes has to be a yes no matter what. See, I don't need to say, well, somebody might come beat me up or I might be crucified. I don't need to say that my yes is just all in because of the goodness of who he is and what he's led me to has been so pleasant. Not that I'm avoiding some pain. I said, anything that we fear, even this quote-unquote suffering for Jesus, places the focus on avoidance of suffering. Or that if I suffer, it proves I'm not doing something right. That's the old theology, it's the old religious theology that a lot of us grew up in. Yeah. I'm just saying, God, your position of your yes has to be no matter what. It's not a guarantee of suffering. It's a, it, you should, it should be your guarantee that I'll follow. 
But see, your mindset should be, I will follow him to pleasant places. There's nothing about God that says, okay, it's just going to be the worst life ever. Or Jesus wouldn't say, I came to give you life and more abundantly. See, we've got all of our theologies all mixed in there. Let me say it. I said earlier, what if demonic pursuit meant I will overcome more demons and become stronger versus meaning I'm doing something wrong? I mean, can you change your mindset and not be afraid of demonic presence, but know that it's your, you attract it? You attract people that carry a demonic spirit, not for it to influence you. Just think sometimes, you know, I think about, I look at celebrities, you know, and I think, oh, uh, wow, they married a Jezebel. They must be an Ahab. That spirit is so known. See, start paying attention to the spirits that people carry. You're going to have way more success in seeing breakthrough and exercising your authority if you know what spirit someone's of. What if the sheer meaning of opposition means it's an invitation to the enemy into a setup of his destruction, not mine? I'm trying to get you to exchange an old identity of that I don't know if I'm going to make it and all this bad stuff means something bad to. I am a son. I am a daughter. I have been hand-selected and I've been placed in charge of an entire inheritance, which means I have an entire angelic host at my disposal. When's the last time that you engaged with the angelic host? I like mine. He's big. How often do you think about all this protection God's given you? I doubt that we've got some wimpy angel and the enemy's got some powerful angel and our wimpy angel's going, man, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. Do you ever see your life as this walking piece of authority that you've got to encounter darkness to be shiny? What if my faith attracted demons for me to destroy instead of thinking that I'll be destroyed? These are just a couple of things for you to think about. The last thing I want to end with, maybe, is what time is it? Okay. Let's go back to Romans 8. It says, you didn't receive the spirit of religious duty. So that means I don't have that, that religious spirit leading you back to the fear of never being good enough that came from religion. If you think that about yourself, if you think you're pre-rejected, if you think you're not good enough, you think you can't do it right, if you think you're going to be in trouble, if you think you're trying to hide something, you're just under a religious spirit. That's all it is. It's not some big thing. Another word from it, from it, from the passion guy, for it, from the passion guy, is the spirit of slavery. Relig- the religious spirit 
puts you in a position of being a slave to something. People, fear, money, whatever. Ooh. You've been hand-selected to oversee an entire inheritance, and then you're acting like you're some slave to, I'm not good enough, some slave to, I might do it wrong, some slave to, people don't like me. Please. Flip that around. But you've received the spirit of full acceptance, full adoption, enfolding you into the family of God. This is key. That's why I was started to read Chris Valden. I didn't finish. He, he said, I understand more clearly now than ever that the great, with great authority comes much responsibility. The more influence you have in the world, the more wisdom you'll need to navigate life redemptively so that the purposes of God are fulfilled in your time. Wasn't that crazy? Or that guy was talking about all those women dying from childbirth. Did you listen to that? And it just was simply washing their hands. But they didn't believe him. See, do you understand that the principles of the kingdom are the same way? The reason we're not doing them is we don't believe him. He gave you a family that goes along with your spiritual gifting for it to be exercised and matured into the safety of the boundary that you are mature enough to manage. Your maturity is not contingent upon mine. As a leader, we make... We make a boundary. God makes it in us. As my leadership has a certain size boundary. And within that boundary are you. And you have a certain size boundary. So see, when we get that principle, then we want to adjust ourselves because we realize we're actually inside of another boundary group. So that what you do ultimately does affect me. What I do ultimately does affect you. If you do everything in life with just you in mind, it's still going to affect me. Why? Because God placed you inside the boundary of this family. I love that the other thing Chris says, favor amplifies the influence on our lives. But favor alone doesn't help us make good decisions. We have to seek God for his perspectives and connect with wise people for their insights and counsel. It's in, it's inauthentic life on life accountability to wise counselors that there is victory. I'll send you all the rest of that article, but it's really good. It's talking about this very thing. It says you've received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you to the family of God. It says it's a spirit of adult complete sonship. It says, and he'll, you'll never feel orphaned, verse 15, because as he rises up within us, our spirits join with him in divine duet, saying the words, Abba. Saying the words, beloved father. See, when I see God for who he really is, see, this is the one hope I hope y'all have. I see Papa the way he really is. He is a loving, good doing everything on my behalf and he did does never he never wants me to think something bad about me 
I rarely think bad thoughts about me. But see, that's what he says. We've received this from God. And verse 16 says, For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved. I mean, if you can't hear that whisper, then tell him to talk louder. Ask him to unclog your ears. Ask him to remove everything, all that cotton. See, there's just a bunch of cotton in your little spiritual ears. Yes, God! There's a bunch (laughs) of cotton. See, he's getting louder and louder. There's a bunch of cotton because he wants you to know that's not him. He's inviting us today, please. He's inviting us into a placement of his spirit. The only thing you had to do was say yes. The placement is because he saw you. He thought you valuable. He thought you mature enough. And he said, come and be a part of managing my inheritance, not only now, but in eternity. Such a good word, huh? Isn't that incredible? Just that slight shift in perspective of what adoption meant, what adoption means. And so just to, to recount that, so if you're adopted, it's not just for the purpose of be providing a parent, although God does do that also, but there's a greater purpose because there's a legacy there's a family purpose, a family line that's got to be carried on. And so how interesting, I mean, that shifts so much, just knowing that, just knowing that in our relationship. And, you know, even just the definition of purpose, we talk a lot about here, we want to do our purpose, we want to find our purpose and all that. But I, all of us think so smally, 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 <laughs> it's a new word. We think so small, we think, well, maybe my purpose is to evangelize to people, you know, at the pharmacy or something like that. Now, that may be one component of your purpose, but your purpose is to further the kingdom of God. I mean, your purpose is so much bigger than what we think. So just to let you into a little bit of the kookiness about how things happen in my head, you know, the Holy Spirit will highlight things to me to make me ask questions that I don't always get the answers to, but sometimes they just linger like questions. And so he just, he gave me one of those questions recently, and I just heard the answer a few minutes ago. So this is, this is what I think the answer, it means. It resonates within me. It's for today anyways, okay? So I heard, I was listening to Kat Kerr talk, and she, you know, has had over a thousand trips to heaven, and she has personally seen the creation, um, you know, the replay of creation when the world was formed. And she talks with Jesus like every single day, like he comes into her room, you know, so she's on a, like a real kind of casual basis, you know, like she's like, oh yeah, you know, my friend Jesus. And so she casually mentioned in talking about something else the other day that she said, well, you know, this was back when he was the word talking about Jesus. You know, and like, you know, it says in Genesis, there was the word and he was there at the beginning of creation. And so I was like, that just stuck out. And I'm like, why are you telling me, are you telling me, Kat Kerr, that 
Jesus was called the word first and he there was like a time period when he wasn't the son of God? I don't really know the full answer to that, but it's an interesting question, right? And so the Holy Spirit told me that the reason he wanted me to ask that question just was just to propose this thought. What if Jesus was the word and when it came time for God to send him to earth, he said, I'm going to call you a son of God because they are my sons and daughters. So that we would know that a son becomes sons. We would get that concept because he's our model, right? We know that. But what if, what if just the very name, what if he was like, I'm going to call you and, re, and um, refer to you as the son of God because the sonship part was so important to him modeling who we are. That makes such a huge difference, right? And you know God would be that intentional with the details because he likes details too, just like I do. And so I've also recently heard um, Robin Bullock, Robin D. Bullock, um, talking about various things, but they made this message um, stand out in, in a different way. And so if Jesus was our model and he was modeled being a son, um, Robin Bullock was emphasizing a slight difference and another reason why he had to, God had to come as a man. Okay. I think that I'd always heard and was under the impression that Jesus had to pay the price for our sin as a man because, you know, we as mankind were just so wretched, (laughs) you know, like we had so much sin. So he had to die as a man and all of that, that the emphasis was on more like what was wrong with us. But Robin Bullock was saying that no, God created earth and gave all authority to man. And so his reason, his, the overarching, more supreme reason that Jesus had to come as a man, be, be a man, was because he had to operate as a man and use man's authority to overcome and to go back and get the keys. That's a huge difference in perspective, right? That's how serious God was about us having authority, ruling and reigning, not just someday when we're in heaven or some future time, but it starts now. Jesus came and had to operate as with man's authority because God set man up to be the one in authority. Because all along we've been destined to be heirs and to inherit the long-term purpose, the long-term legacy of stewarding the kingdom of God. So again, this makes me think about more of the story that I heard about when you look at Jesus's life. You know, Jesus, it says in the scripture, had to, he had to grow, you know, 30 years for three years of ministry, right? So he had to grow in stature and favor with man on and on. So that's, again, a model for us. That's what we're talking about today. When we receive truth, when we have training, the renewing of our mind, Jesus had to do the same thing. I mean, another thing that's been highlighted to me is that Jesus had to actually discover his identity also. He didn't always know from birth as the man part of him. Okay. He was always God also, but as a man, he didn't know his identity either. 
he had his identity had to be revealed to us. Doesn't that I mean to him, doesn't that sound like us, right? He also had to grow and mature for all there's this huge gap in time in his life that it's not even referenced in scripture. I think it stops at like at 12 and then it says he grew. He grew. And Robin pointed out something else I'd never thought about was that if you look at the miracles that occurred and sort of the timeline of Jesus's ministry or time on earth, that the level of miracles was progressive. That his, his first miracle was over an element of the earth, turning water into wine. And then he progressed to actually doing miracles in people, healing them of blindness or physical ailments. But they weren't dead people yet. They were you know, they were ailments and people, diseases that people had. And then he progressed to actually raising someone from the dead who'd only been dead for, I can't remember how many minutes or maybe an hour or something like that, a short term. And then it progresses to Lazarus where he's been dead for three days. And then it says that he progressed even more into, he said, Robin Bullock said that when Jesus paid the price for us, okay, when he bore all of our sin, all sickness. He had to use his faith that he learned as a man to do that. In other words, it wasn't just some supernatural thing. I mean, you think about how important our faith is and operating in the things of the spirit. He had to use his faith to say, I am sickness. I am sin. I fully embody it now. In his own mind, in his own spirit, as a man, he had to have faith to accomplish what he accomplished on the cross. And then Tisa touched on the issue of suffering, of course, and people have have mistaken um, that scripture um, and said, you know, well, I've got to be like Jesus. I've got to be suffering in this life, or otherwise I'm not serving him. But this concept of it being a matter of having an endurance. Another thing I heard uh, Robin say was that in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, the story when, when Jesus is becoming more and more aware and he knows what's going to happen, and it says that he was in such anguish that he was sweating blood. It says, and you know, that he says, if, um, you know, if it be your will, um, let this cup pass from me, something like that. Well, we've all thought that he, I've always thought, you know, that, oh, he's imagining what it's going to be like. This horrible death is going to be like. So if it's, if you can let this cup, that cup pass from me, that's been my understanding. Well, this teaching was saying that, no, at this point in time, Jesus knew his purpose so well and was so committed he was able to endure in that moment and say that if he basically was in such anguish in the garden that he thought it would kill him he thought he would die from the anguish and everything that he was becoming aware of that the knowledge of his physical body was sweating blood he thought he was going to die then and he said he basically said to to God the Father then that if this is enough, then uh, okay. But if it's not, then take this present cup from me. This, this potential for death in this moment, take that cup from me so that I can complete my purpose and go to the cross. That's the kind of inner strength of inner endurance that we would have that he's, he's 
renewing our minds and fathering and parenting us to raise us up to the point of conviction on that level. And I propose that's what that scripture is saying, and that's what we're really called to. And you know, the, the, the last thing I'll share on this is that, again, just this, the story of, of Jesus and the whole story in the Bible points so many times to what God intended for man. And that we, he did intend for us to be sons and daughters, heirs that inherited his kingdom and stewarded his kingdom because of this overarching long-term plan. When we have also thought of in the scripture that the reason Lucifer fell was because he wanted all the glory that God was getting. Well, Robin uh, Bullock proposes something slightly different, and he has all of these scriptures, you know, to back up his, his teachings. It's really, really incredible. But he said that, no, Lucifer saw who God made when he made man, and he saw the glory that man was going to carry the glory the glory that was going to be shown through man and the authority that was given to man and the intimacy with God's heart that was given to man and Lucifer was jealous of mankind so he wasn't trying to be like God he wanted to be like man he wanted to come to be the ruler and the authority of this planet, of this kingdom. We were that awesome in his eyes that the angel of this worshiping angel, the angel that was bedazzled with jewels and had, you know, face-to-face encounters, he was actually one of the angels, Kat Kerr says, that actually was allowed to walk around inside the father. The, the leader of the worship of heaven saw us and said, whoa, I want what they have. What I have is not good enough. I want what they have. And he was looking at us. And so the reason why he, um, when he leads, when Jesus was led out into the wilderness to be tempted, it was, Satan was tempting him to relinquish the authority over these kingdoms so that he was basically saying let you go do why don't you be in charge of the natural kingdom of the physical elements and i'll be in charge of all these other things he was wanting to he wanted jesus to relinquish his man's authority and say that that he could keep it as satan and of course jesus was knew his purpose so it's just some incredible, incredible, incredible picture that ties with this message so well about what Jesus did as a man and what the intent, God's intention was all along. And that's what we're invited to. That's our inheritance. And that's what we're being trained for. That's what we're being um, raised up for. We're being um, made stronger. We're giving all kinds of, given all kinds of opportunities to exercise new areas and new muscles that he's developing in us. And so, Papa, we just want to say we hear your heart. We see you and we see your heart. We hear your heart's cry. We hear your heart's cry. And so we see in a brand new way today what you originally designed us for, the long-term plan, 
And we thank you for loving us as a father, for parenting us, for comforting us, for seeing to all our needs and meeting our needs. But we say today that we see that you called us for something so much greater, something beyond that, an invitation to inherit the kingdom of God, to be a steward of the kingdom of God. What a rich, rich, rich inheritance. And so today, Papa, we say we hear you and we take this truth in today and we will pursue all the truth that we don't yet understand. We will follow that parable that you said was the most important parable. We will go where the seed was thrown and back in the day and they cast the seed, they cast the seed and then they went and turned the soil where the seed laid on the ground. They didn't wait for their hearts They didn't wait for the ground to be tilled. They went where the seed was. So we say today we acknowledge that seeds of truth were cast out today. And you are telling us this is a Kairos moment to go and till the soil where those seeds were. So we just promise you today that if any part of this word is something that is not yet um, coming to fruition in us, that we don't have an understanding of yet, that we will go to where the seed was and we will seek it out. We will seek it out and we will till the soil of our hearts to make sure that it's planted deep within us. So we thank you, Papa. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that it's by your power that you give us grace, the power to do all that you called us to do. You didn't say that you are, we had an inheritance that was impossible for us. You said, I've given you everything that you need. So we partner in our hearts and our minds and our beliefs today that you have given us everything that we need. And so we will do our part. We will do our part and we will welcome the teaching, the training, the tweaking and the strengthening opportunities so that we can be who you designed us to be. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you for what you modeled for us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you truly modeled every aspect of our lives. We love you, we love you, we love you, and we will follow in your footsteps with fervency and with an endurance and a passionate heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life Okay. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.